everybody. Get ready for Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. A foodie born and bred, my wife Nikki loves chatting up chefs, dining out, and insider industry buzz. And my husband David thinks a great meal is nothing but a good burger, a frosty brew, and a check for under $20. Because he is cheap. Well, maybe so, but foodie married beast anyway. And together we've got the food and wine variety show that has everyone talking. It's Foodie and the Beast, and we are on now. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Foodie and the Beast on this very auspicious day. It's no secret that Washington has had had its share of turmoil in the last couple of days. And uh, it looks like it's going to iron out. Hopefully uh, Trump, all the Trumps and Rudy and everybody else will get tried as additionists. Um, and I guess what we have now is proof that you cannot shoot someone on Fifth Avenue and get away with it. So we want to send out love to everybody in D.C., and particularly to the family of Capitol Police Officer Brian Sicknick, who was killed by somebody when they hit him with a fire extinguisher. And that person should go to jail and to hell. So having said that, on a happy note, it's a new year. We've got a new administration coming in. We're going to be okay. And the new year brings some new restaurants and some new- I'd like to pop in. Pop in. Right. Okay. So before we get into the beginning of this show, we do want to wish everybody a really happy new year. And it did not start off at the greatest point, but it's really, really important that everybody remember that uh, our food service industry is in a lot of trouble. Restaurants, bars, uh, farmers markets, you name it, our food vendors really need your help. And that uh, incident on Wednesday certainly did not help um, this industry, especially with that 6 p.m. curfew. So uh, just a reminder to everybody, while the restaurants cannot serve inside, lots of them are serving outside, almost all of them are doing some form of takeaway, get online, place your orders. And if you're not interested in doing that, buy gift cards. Now is the time. In fact, we have been doing a gift card exchange with our neighbors. There's about 20 of us. So once a month, everybody buys gift cards. We do a little grab bag, socially distanced, masked up, but it's a great way to pour some more money into the area restaurants. So just as you're thinking about your day-to-day this weekend, about, think about ways that you can support um, the industry. Okay, sweetie. All right. So uh, we've got a great show today, and we are going to talk about several new restaurants and new concepts uh, that just opened up despite COVID. Uh, we're going to be joined by Deb Moser of, of Central Farm Markets, of course, as usual. Zach Patterson is the founder of Umbrella Hospitality Group in L.A., uh, and uh, he is also a Geneva, and if you don't know what Geneva is, we're going to tell you, category ambassador. And uh, we'll be talking about the fine differences between gin and Geneva and more, and we're going to be sampling a lot of it. I've got five bodacious samples right in front of me. Uh, later on, you guys know the myth, and now you're going to meet the man, celebrated chef Kevin Tien, late of Humitsu, and hailed by food and wine of one of, as one of America's 10 best new chefs. He's now the executive chef at Moon Rabbit, his modern Vietnamese restaurant in the Intercontinental on the Wharf. We're going to be talking to Kevin about life down at the Wharf and life in COVID. Hollis Wells Silverman joins us later to chat about the recently opened uh, restaurant the duck and the peach it's a new concept that opened on capitol hill one of three concepts she's working on there it's all about laid back if you can say that now northern california cuisine with a dose of new england comfort it sounds like a mongrel but it's going to be it's delicious food we hear um and neighborhood restaurant group our friends there i think they have 22 concepts uh now they have 23 concepts to go along with iron gate and blue jacket and many others uh it's called leany it's an all-day cafe by james beard nominated chef Brittany Anderson, 
Uh, Nikki knows Brittany well, and it's at the Roost on Capitol Hill, which is their new food, I guess, multi-concept food operation there. And we're going to be talking to Chef Brittany, too. So first, let's talk to Deb Moser. Happy New Year, Good morning. Thank you. Happy New Year to you all, too. Thank you. So tell us what's, you know, it's wintertime. Most people don't expect the farmer's markets to be opened. What's open for you guys and what, what's available? What's happening? Well, both of our farm markets, Nova in Northern Virginia, Vienna, and Bethesda are open year-round. So they are open. But I wanted to piggyback on something you said because I wrote about it in our e-blast this week. You hit a, a really important point. We have doubled up on the prepared food vendors this winter. And there's a couple of reasons for that. And we got a lot of questions about it. And I want to explain to the, your listeners why. It is not that we are building food courts, as I have been, you know, some people have pointed out. It is because, A, the farms leave, and a lot of the farms leave for the winter. So we have space. And B, you cannot imagine how many young chefs or other chefs came to me and said, we need some outlet. We need, we've got to feed our families this winter. Our restaurants are closed. We need an outlet. So we put in a lot of food vendors this year in the hopes, because our patrons aren't really going outside, they're not sitting outside, they're not eating at restaurants, that they could have some of these chefs take home food. Mm -hmm. So that's the reason we're trying to trying to help them out while they're, the restaurants might be closed or not in operation. So who are some of the chefs that are are popping up at the farmers market? Well, we had the chef from Barrel and Crow. He opened a pasta place. We have um, Jin Lan. She makes homemade dumplings. Yeah. Uh, she was working at a restaurant. She her dumplings. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Is she in Pike and Rose? No, she's she just started with us. She's in Vienna and oh. Bethesda. She's alternating. Last week she had a tremendous line. Right. Um, and socially and distanced line. A socially, socially distanced line. We make sure everybody is socially distanced. You can't, you know, in fact, that was another complaint. The lines were long, but we have to keep them spaced out and mm -hmm. they look longer than they are because right. you're not next to each other. Plus, nobody wants to cross Deb Moser, so just stay That's in true. line and That's shush. true. Right. So I wanted, you know, and that and the fact that, I don't know if uh, you read Bethesda Magazine, but we were picked as the editor's choice for our farm-to-fridge program, our home delivery program. Mm -hmm. um, they wrote us up, gave us an award, so we're particularly proud of keeping this going, and we still have all COVID protocols in place. Right. But we're well, open. Listen, I think it's really, really important that people you know, obviously we always want to support local and we always want to support our local farmers um, and our local artisans. And however they're popping up now, whether it's at a farmer's market, a ghost kitchen, whatever it is, spending what dollars you have, if you can, then you should. Um, so Deb, tell everybody where they can find all the markets, please. All information is on our website at centralfarmmarkets.com. You'll find all the winter hours and all the good things and sign up for our e-blast. We post what's new and good each week. Excellent. Right. Thanks, Deb. We'll see you next week. All right. Thank you. All right. So our first, next guest up, Zach Patterson. Of course, you've seen him on the red carpet at the Grammys, the Oscars, the Emmys. Uh, I mean, he's world he's famous. He's very L.A. Very right? L.A. Like, totally L.A. So we're looking I at feel, him. Like, I feel like a little, like, underdressed. That's hanging plant. Well, you're you're overdressed for L.A. <laughs> but anyway, Zach is many things. He's uh, founder of Umbrella Hospitality Group and the Melrose Umbrella Company Bar in L.A. But he's also a, a category ambassador for Geneva, and there may be some folks out there who don't know what Geneva is. So, Zach, welcome to the show. What the hell is Geneva? Yes, thank you so much. Uh, Geneva, Geneva, 
Geneva, how we want to pronounce it or pronounce it correctly with a Dutch accent, which I also do not do. <laughs> try. Come on, try. You're in uh, LA, dude. Aren't you like a movie guy anyway? Like everybody has to try, right? See, I like to say that I'm a small town boy from Bend that just couldn't handle the cold. So I moved south, flew south to Los Angeles where mm -hmm. we spent time last 10 months out of the year. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> no, but this is exciting. And I just, a prequel watching what kind of transpired right before we all got on. I love seeing the sense of community and how much you guys are all supporting each other um, in this time is really, really big. I see a lot of that here in LA that mm -hmm. I haven't seen in quite a while, as strong as it has been, but seeing it out in DC, you guys doing the same thing. It's really, really cool and inspiring to watch how much you guys are supporting each other and supporting local and supporting oh, those who. Well, the only, honestly, I mean, before we get into what your book to talk about is the, the one of the idiotiest, bittiest of silver linings of the pandemic is the way people have really come together in the food, wine and hospitality industry and supported one another, you know, giving space for kitchens, helping people get the products they need, just everything that, I mean, in DC especially, I mean, they all play so well in the sandbox anyway, but everybody has each other's back and it's, um, and they're not gonna survive if they don't. So it's really, um, it's great to see. Well, plus all the agita we've had in our stomachs since uh, November of 2016 is now gone because he's going. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, let's talk uh, about booze because we can all use some. So, where did your neighbor come from? What's right. what, what happened there? All right. So super exciting. In fact, uh, I mean, there's so much to talk about in such a little time. Let's just start with some really fun, interesting hooks and facts here. When you say, where did Geneva come from? The oldest liquor brand in the world is Bolts. And we all know Bulls from Bulls Geneva. They actually started with liqueurs, but in 1664, they took over with Geneva. And Geneva is, you know, you could potentially say one of the oldest, if not the oldest spirit brand, uh, spirit in the world. There's, there's recipes written as early as the 1500s where you've got Egyptians writing about this tonic they were using for stomach ailment, which at the time was tapeworms. And it looks like it was a more crude um did it work did it work i think we're gonna have to go back in time to find out i hope it did for their sake for their sake but uh yeah started i mean when when we talk about that we all love spirits spirits beers and wine but when you talk about the oldest spirit brand in the world that that right there says but, but what is it because it's not gin and it's not whiskey it's sort of jisky or when it is, it is that bridge right between it is it is the it is a dis you think about it as the true marriage between the two so it is Imagine whiskey with botanical spirits, or imagine gin with some malt base. So it really is what makes Geneva is it has to have juniper, it has to have and have malt and be distilled spirits. So, so is gin made out of Geneva? Like, is there what's there's no correlation other than the juniper? Um, right now, totally separate categories. Okay. However, Geneva is the forefather, foremother, you can say, of modern day gin. Mm -hmm. That happened back when we were going through the 30 years war and the 80s year war, where the English were coming down to help the Dutch fight. And they noticed when the Dutch were going into battle, you know, this small country of people were going around and they were just ruthless. They were amazing, they were warriors. And what the English noticed is they were noticed that the Dutch kept grabbing this little bottle on their waistline and taking a few sips before they'd go out there and run into bloody battle. And they end up calling this, this thing, this mystery liquor, Dutch courage. Now, as we come to find out, Dutch courage was Geneva. They were drinking Geneva as any sane human would do before running into battle with a massive machete. <laughs> um, and that is, that's what 
started to lead the English onto this taste and flavor profile of what was happening with Geneva, what the Dutch were doing. And then that's really got, amazing. What a great story. It is, it's wild, right? And then you've got William of Orange, um, who ends up marrying into the English family and he- I mean, the king of England. Right, and because of you know, what was going on with the, with the House of Hasburg and fighting, fighting the Spanish, you've got a trade embargo that stops French imports. You've got different access to materials. So the English, you could say, if we're doing a little quick spin off the gin, start playing with, playing with Geneva in, in their own right, like maybe focusing more on botanicals um, and keeping it a cleaner, lighter, where you go into the London dry style family of gin, whereas still down in the South, you're, you're having access to these malt. You've got the distillers down there and they're still making Geneva. Uh, Nick, okay, why don't we go right, to a commercial David, now? Yeah, we have to take a quick yeah. break. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, let's talk about sort of, because we have all these little bottles, but we don't, are there different, it's just amazing to me before we take this break that this spirit has such a rich history and yet so many people, especially in the States, are just sort of learning about it. So, so this is David and Nikki Nellis, Foodie and the Beast. We'll be back in just a sec. All right, we're back on Foodie and the Beast. David and Nikki Nellis, we're talking to Zach Patterson about Geneva. Uh, I've been sampling some of this. I'm ready to go into battle, by the way. Just, <laughs> just, <laughs> courage so, through your veins. So let's shoot forward a little to, to present day because I honestly, before these bottles showed up at our house and I knew you were going to be on the show, I'd never heard of Geneva. So That's our, not true. That's not true. We're, uh, what's true that I'd never heard of it. So yes, it is. We've had somebody come on the show and pour it before. So that's not true. I don't but remember. I'm, I'm old. I don't remember stuff like that. Okay. So my question for you is: for folks out there, the great, in the you know, the great unknown, are there common cocktails that people you know order that are actually have Geneva in them? Yes, absolutely. Uh, I don't, how common it is at the moment, or that's what our mission is to do: it's to educate everybody and reintroduce them to Geneva. But I'm sure everybody's heard of the Martini. And if you look at the lineage and the history of the martini, that originates from the Martinez, which was a Geneva cocktail. Hmm. Uh, you've got Everett, which is sweet vermouth and Geneva, equal parts, little dash of bitters. And you could say the original one had a dash of orange curacao. Some people put a little, uh, Jerry Thomas said a little bar spoon of maraschino in there. Hmm. You go to any of your classic cocktail bars in DC, I mean, run down and visit Glendon over at Service Bar. Right. And I'm sure, which I'm, I just heard, Nikki, that you're, you're friends with him and you guys do some work together. Absolutely. Um, yeah, he's on the um, Chefs for Equality um, uh, committee with me. We do a, a huge event here. Well, he, a dear yeah. friend, and, and he can, him and his staff can just talk you through the history of, of where that came from and how it came to be. But that's, that's what we're doing. We're educating on the history of, like you said, this spirit that at one time was so big and so rich that in the book Imbibe, which every craft cocktail bar knows what Imbibe is, written by Dave Wondrich, an adaptation from Jerry Thomas's The Bomb Bonds Companion. 25% of those cocktails were Geneva cocktails. He even has a segment in there, I think it's on like page 58, where he says, throughout researching the book, he realized the gin he was speaking about was not a London dry gin, it was a Holland gin, which would have made it a Geneva. So it is a rich, rich history that we are now bringing back and educating everyone on. Okay, so I have a question. On our bar downstairs, we have this like ceramic, bottle i know it's geneva right yes does it look something like styled like this well it's a smaller version but yeah so is that just a brand style or was there a reason that they put them in sort of these ceramic bottles yeah that was that is very very good question and a lot of the geneva's originally were made in these in these um 
why am I totally spacing the name of this material? Is um, it not ceramic? Ceramic? Ceramic, ceramic. thank you. Yes. you said it. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, these beautiful ceramic bottles. In fact, I was it was crazy because when I was in the Netherlands, maybe I want to say five years ago, I was visiting Mark de Kuiper and uh, they got Rutagen. And while we were there, they found this house that a friend of theirs had excavated and found a case of Geneva. Oh my God. That had been buried in the ground a hundred years ago. Oh my God. Pulled it up and it had like government bonds on it that were wearing off. And all of them, of course, thank goodness, were stored in these ceramic bottles that they put everything in for the durability. And so we were able to open one up and sip it. And I'll leave it to your imagination how amazing or not amazing it was. Let's just say it was an amazing experience to be able to taste a hundred year old, actual right. hundred year old. That's cool. Geneva. Well, it makes me think, I, I always thought of them like those, um, I can't think of the name of the vessels that Georgian wine is made in, you know, those buried Geor uh, vessels. Uh, what were they called? Not I can't that. think of them, but anyway, it's not important. All right, so let me ask you a question. I mean, you brought up Glendon, uh, who everybody knows here in DC at Service Bar. You know, uh, can people go into liquor stores and and buy these? I mean, we we didn't even really touch on Oh, because it's such a vast topic. I mean, what do we have in front of us and what are some of the things that we should be looking for like in the different varieties that we have in front of us? Perfect, great question. So I will say, yes, you can go into probably any liquor store or bar and get Geneva. Mm -hmm. uh, where we're at now is majority of people are familiar or they will find Bowles Geneva, which is a delicious okay. Geneva. Like I said, Bowles is the oldest spirit brand in the world. So yay, I'm glad they found it. I'm glad they're testing it. However. Just like with scotch, if you just were able to get one bottle of scotch whiskey, that is not scotch. That's, there's blended, there's single malt, and we could go into depth of all the different styles. Geneva has a spread that is one of the biggest, if not the most complex of any spirit in the world because of the fact that it has botanicals, juniper, and malt spirit. So you could have a Geneva-like Bulls, which is 60% malt spirit, or you could have one like a Notaris Bartender's Choice Rome, which is 100% malt spirit. Mm -hmm. So that, if you blind tasted anybody on that, I will put $100 down right now, they would think that they were drinking whiskey. They so here's my whiskey. question. Does anybody, nobody drinks this straight up. Could they? Do you? Oh, oh, no, you're talking to the ambassador. What do you think? I know, but I mean, it's so, it's great. It's got a delicious, you know, I just took the bowls or uh, drank the bowls. And I love Bobby's. I can't even pronounce it. Shidem, he spells Shidem, yeah, from Shidem. He spells it with a J. Um, yeah, he does. He does. Um, so, I mean, I, oh, how much time do we have, Nick? We don't. We have a minute. Uh, what's the ABV quality of uh, of Geneva? Uh, you've got thirty five percent right now in your sample kit, which it has to be this thirty five. So you've got thirty five, which you easily could sip straight in like a cup stucho, which the Dutch do all the time. Right. Um, or you could go all the way up. Or the Notaris is forty seven percent. Man. Okay, so it goes up high. Okay. Yes. Some are right. a little more difficult to sip straight. Others, 100%. Zach, obviously this is a much longer segment. And good news, I have another show where we can do that. So I will talk to your reps and we'll make that happen. So Zach, tell everybody where they can find you uh, if anybody listening wants to learn more about Geneva. Uh, first, I would say go to the World of Geneva, either the website, www.worldofgeneva.com or at World of Geneva. And they can find me, they can find the crew and all our different category ambassadors teaching the world and teaching America about the lost spirit of Geneva. It Excellent. sounds like Ted Kennedy saying Geneva, Geneva. Okay. All right, stop. <laughs> all right. Thank you, Zach. Okay, so up next, Gross. we have an old friend of the show, uh, Kevin Tian. You know him from Himitsu, um, and also High Food and Wine, one of America's best new chefs. 
Um, he was at Emily's at the beginning of the pandemic that had a little bit of an implosion. And now he has opened up his new moon rabbit down in the Intercontinental Hotel where uh, Kwame's restaurant used to be. So Kevin, hey. Hey, how are you? So nice to have you. How are you doing? I'm I'm good, as good as uh, anyone can be this week, so. So, I mean, let's just give everybody a little backup. I mean, you're very well known in the DC metro area uh, because of, you know, of your fabulous cooking, your food and wine um, uh, platform, obviously. Himitsu being this, dar you know, not only just a media darling, but also an incredible restaurant that both David and I really loved. Um, but in the middle of a pandemic, you left one place and now you have opened up another. Um, what was that like? I mean, tell, tell us a little bit how you went from there to here. Well, uh, after separating from Emily's, uh, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do next. So it was kind of like me searching around in the dark, uh, not just for like a, like a new job or a new restaurant, but really like a lot of soul searching. Mm -hmm. and I think a lot of people went through that kind of like during the pandemic, realizing what's important to them and whatnot. Uh, and for me, it was really like connecting with my family and our roots and our heritage and our culture. You know, uh, being a first generation Asian American, first person in my family to be born in the U.S. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of my family escaped right after the Vietnam War to come to America for uh, a better life. And in doing so, uh, I grew up in a position where my family wanted me to be very American, uh, more American than Vietnamese. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, growing up, I would ask, like, oh, well, what was everything like back in Vietnam? And the answer that myself and probably a lot of other uh, people in my position get is, like, you know, uh, don't worry or ask about the past. We need to, like, look forward to the future in America and be American, you know, and assimilate and do all this other stuff. But were, they, but were you growing up on the foods that your family grew up with? A little bit. Uh, but really, like, for us to be American, like, I think a lot of people know that I have, like, this weird uh, craving for McDonald's all the time. And I think that's part of my childhood, right? For us to be very American, it was, like, eating fast foods, like, grilling steaks, having barbecues, mm -hmm. and doing so, like, you know, uh, I have a Vietnamese name. Uh, Kevin is my American name. It's actually my middle name. Uh, mm -hmm. So what is it? Uh, my Vietnamese name is Hao, H-A-U. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's it was easier for people to pronounce when I was in school. Uh, and I'm sure it's like that for a lot of people just like me. Mm -hmm. So uh, in doing so, growing up, I became more American than Vietnamese. Mm -hmm. So I feel like... Uh, well, let's, let's take you back. What prompted you then to start, you know, reevaluating and reexamining or examining for the first time your Vietnamese roots and the culinary side of that? You know, uh, I think a lot of that was really like living in DC, right? Uh, I think like the impression of what America is to like my parents and my grandparents is very different to like what I think America is now. Mm -hmm. You know, back then, I think a lot of uh, my parents thought America was like steak and potatoes and like fast food and consumerism. Uh, for me now, like, that's not the America I see. Living in D.C., America is a bunch of different shades diverse. of people. I mean, D.C. is so diverse. And, exactly. um, and you And you know this firsthand, especially, like, when I think of Himitsu and where you opened up Himitsu, like, so, like, 
that's a destination, right? For people who don't live in that neighborhood. Um, you know, it's a very educated diner with educated palates. And if they don't have an educated palate, if they're coming to your restaurant, they're interested in learning more. I, I, I you know, that's not 100% DC diners, but I think a very high percentage of DC diners are super interested in trying new foods and learning more and, and finding out about different cultures and, and learning and educating They're also interested in discovering too. I mean, the, yeah. the, the Humitsu was like finding a diamond in, you know, a pile of, you know, leaves. It was unbelievable. So how did you wind up at Moon Rabbit? How did you wind up in Kwame's old restaurant space? I think uh, a lot of it for me was, I never thought I would be partnering with a hotel. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, being a, a young chef and kind of like thrust into this the spotlight, a national spotlight, I don't think anyone's really kind of prepared for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think being uh, part of the hotel provides a lot of the support that you normally don't get as a small business owner. Uh, and that's something I, you know, it's hard to admit whenever you like need help because you want to do everything on your own, especially being a, uh, a young uh, like person of color that doesn't want to accept help from anybody, you know, you want to prove to everyone that you can do it on your own. But, you know, uh, I think a lot of it is timing too. But I think you bring up a really good point. I mean, you hit it at a very young age um, and you certainly did that with grace and uh, were able to grow with it. But, you know, running a restaurant that serves, I don't know how many covers you guys did a night at like Himitsu, but it's a t- it was a tiny restaurant mm-hmm. to, you know, handling multiple, you know, I know everybody and their brother was after you. Kevin, open up here. Kevin, why don't you do something here? What, how do we, you know, everybody was pulling at you, which must feel really appealing. But, um, you know, that's a lot to manage and you need support. No, absolutely. You know, uh, Carly and I did our, our best and, you know, and we made something very beautiful. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, under the surface of a lot of the success was like we were we were new business owners and we were, we were figuring out how to do everything right. Right. Can I take this because we're going to run out of time. Let's no, we, have about- a, we have to take a break. So let me take oh, a break. Okay. And we'll come back. Okay. okay. Uh, Kevin, we'll be right back with you. This is okay. David and Nikki Nellis, Beauty and the Beast. When we come back, we're going to find out what Kevin is serving at Moon Rabbit and what you can dig your hands into. We'll be back in just a second. All right. We're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. We are talking to Kevin Tien. Uh, late of Humitsu and now of Moon Rabbit. Where does Moon Rabbit come from and what are you serving there, Kevin? Uh, Moon Rabbit is based off of an Asian tale. Uh, the tale is a little bit different whether, whether you're you know, Japanese, Chinese, Vietnamese, Korean, uh, but everyone has a version. Uh, for us, we're doing Vietnamese food. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're doing food that's not bun mei, pho, or like rice plates. Uh, so I'm really digging into like... Uh, like old recipes and doing like contemporary dishes, uh, but with uh, the flavor profiles that a lot of people know when they go to a Vietnamese restaurant. So give us an example of like some of the dishes uh, that are appearing on the menu. Oh, so right now, uh, one of the things I ate growing up all the time was a uh, balne, which is steak and eggs for breakfast. So we're finding a way to get like all the flavors of the steak and eggs. And then normally has like Maggie seasoning sauce on it. Uh, mm-hmm. And I'm building that into a tartare. So uh, oh my God. chopped beef on top of toasted brioche mm-hmm. uh, and a powder uh, that tastes just like the the Maggie seasoning, uh, all the, the onions, everything in there, and a tartare. And um, 
let me just ask you a question. So, cause we're going to have to wrap up soon. So what is your status right now with the hotel and with your restaurant, which is down by the wharf for people who don't know, how can people get access to what you're doing? So as long as indoor dining is uh, coming back, uh, we'll be open. We have a beautiful pat patio as long as the weather is great. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we'll be launching to go in the next 30 days as well. So keep a lookout for that. Well, please keep us posted about your to-go launch because that's something I'll post on the list or you want it on com. And uh, we're so excited for you and we can't wait to um, come in and, and taste what you're doing. Awesome. Thank you so much for the support. Well, Thank and you. since you love McDonald's so much, we look forward to coming in for some happy meals. But I'm fine. Oh, yeah. They'll be the happiest. Okay. <laughs> okay. So now we're joined by Hollis Wells Silverman, who is the entrepreneur's entrepreneur. She's just opened the Duck and the Peach, a new restaurant up on Capitol Hill across from Eastern Market. It's of course it's a new restaurant because the whole show's premise is New Year, New Restaurant. Thank you for rolling the bus over me. But Hollis also has two other concepts that she's going to be talking to us about, all opening up right there. So first of all, welcome to the show. How are you? Thank you. Thank you. I'm very well. Happy New Year. You've been with the Think Food Group for how many years? I think I met you at Zatina. Is that possible? Is that how Probably. Long? I joined Jose and Think Food Group uh, 2006. Yeah. And, uh, I was running service for them. And then, uh, yeah, it was, it's, it, it was, it's been a wonderful ride. And then I ran Zatina for a while, um, oversaw the restaurants, and then I was lucky enough to get to do um, openings, open the bazaar with Jose, uh, and then just kind of help grow, grow the whole team at Think Food Group. What's so amazing, I think, about Think Food Group, I mean, take Jose out of it, which is hard, obviously, but <laughs> he's blown up so much with World Central Kitchen and all the good that he's doing in the world. Mm -hmm. um, but he really does hire from within and move people up. And mm -hmm. I would love for somebody to do a seven, you know, like six degrees of Jose, like where everybody <laughs> is in the like world. The Kevin story for sure. Yes. Right. Um, so you went out on your own. What made you decide to do that? Well, I uh, was doing some consulting on my own. Um, I was lucky enough to get to work on Mercado Little Spain, which was just kind of a dream Jose always had. Um, and then found this space a couple blocks from my neighborhood. And I really missed kind of having a team of my own. Um, and I also wanted to really build the neighborhood that I live in, so. So, well, let's talk about the neighborhood and you have multiple concepts. Yes. Which, I mean, nothing like taking a huge bite. Like, you know, you just didn't <laughs> open up a little nice, little restaurant neighborhood place. You, you went all in. Mm -hmm. So, what's your neighborhood? Uh, we are in Capitol Hill, so we are catty corner from Eastern Market. We're located on the corner of 7th and C Street Southeast. Which is really interesting because like it feels like over the last 20 years there's been like little bubbles of like restaurants opening up up there, but then it doesn't ignite, right? You know what I mean? Um, so it's really interesting that you open there. Now what are the concepts? What are you, what, pre pandemic, what was your dream? Pre-pandemic, um, my dream was to open up three places. Um, I just, I also knew based on the neighborhood that a giant restaurant, for example, like the size of Zaytania doesn't work anymore, um, and especially where this location is. And what people really love is these small, unique spaces that are typically around 60 seats. And living here, working in and out of here, I also knew what the neighborhood needed, um, from my opinion. So I wanted to create three spaces that would 
have a place and time for all the different types of people that live here seven days a week. Amazing. And, and, but you didn't just open a little 60 seat place. So what are the three concepts? Sure. Well, there's three. So the Duck and the Peach, which is an ingredient-driven restaurant, very, I would say my vision was to make it like an elegant dinner party. I love having people over and I feel like food is such a, you know, a way to communicate and just bring people together. And I love the feeling of when you have people over, you always try to make things like a little bit nicer than the regular dinner. Um, my God, so this sounds like Nikki Nellis talking. <laughs> Help! Um, my idea of having people time. over is for two of us to stand in front of the refrigerator and <laughs> yeah. oh hmm. um but i wanted to keep the ingredients um I, my first job out of school was in um san francisco and i worked with tracy desjardins and a chef named douglas Keene. and i just love i fell in love with california and california cuisine and just how the ingredients there were so fresh and um you know chez panis zuni cafe and a roasted chicken um following all the barefoot contessa I mean, she's mm -hmm. amazing. So anyway, I wanted something that was just a wonderful dinner party and more of a destination restaurant. So a little bit of California, a little bit of New England where I'm from. And um, that was the idea for the Duck and the Peach. But I also really liked during the day how, again, if you were spending the weekend at someone's house, you could just kind of go into the kitchen and you just get like a couple of really good bites of things. So that was kind of my idea for a counter service during the day, which hasn't been- that's at the Duck and the Peach? Yes, at the Duck and the Peach during the day from eight to three, we have a small breakfast menu of like an egg sandwich, a kale salad, some toasts. We're doing some muffins, um, cinnamon rolls, just, and coffees and mm -hmm. cocktails and all the things because we also have a great patio. Right. And, um, and, and then- And is open now, the patio? The patio is open, but we're only doing counter service at this point in time. So everybody comes in and they can take their food and they can go sit out on the patio. Um, at dinner time, we're really encouraging people to order ahead. Mm -hmm. We're doing whole roasted chicken with three sides, uh, red wine braised short ribs, polenta, two sides. Um, and everything is ready to be either enjoyed right at home or um, it comes with reheat construction. The duck and the peach is open, and now you have these two other concepts. Yeah. What so are they, and what can we expect from them? Um, La Colina, which means the hill in Italian, is going to be the Italian place, Italian-ish -ish place um, that we're going to open up. I say ish because there'll probably be some little influences um, from other places, but mainly Italian. And that one, I really wanted to be a family neighborhood kind of modern Osteria vibe. Um, Pre-pandemic, I was really hoping that it would be the place where you could come in and you would see your neighbor, you would see someone you worked with and you're like, oh my gosh, it's great to see you. You know, join a table, bring a chair, crowded, boisterous, all the things that we cannot do right now. <laughs> but very, um, very family friendly, um, very affordable, a place where ideally people could come, um, whether you work on the hill, live on the hill, whatever it is. Um, for lunch and dinner. So what are you thinking for that as far so as opening? We're, we're probably, we're hoping to open later this month. We're gonna start with homemade pasta kits. We're gonna be making right. fresh pasta. Uh, and then we're gonna have a few pastas that you can order at night, all carry out and to go. Well, so let me ask you a question. Who's, so you're the visionary. Mm -hmm. Who's executing all the dishes? Do you have a different chef in each place? Do you have a team together? How's that working? Um, it's been um, a lot of different people. Um, when I first started the project, um, I worked with uh, Douglas Keene to help me uh, design kind of base menu so that we could set the kitchen up right. Um, and we've been working on this for about two and a half years and I knew I couldn't hire someone to execute here right then and there. So 
Um, but then actually right before the pandemic, I was looking for a chef to run all the concepts um, because from a, a business and operational perspective, I look at it as kind of one, one big menu. Um, sure. and the kitchen needs one person really running it. So I have a gentleman named um, Jim Dieccio. Uh, actually, he, the, he worked at Think Food Group also, like mm -hmm. um, at Zaytina, I, we missed each other. Um, but, and then he was working with um, a chef down in North Carolina. So he's been helping me um, and working with Doug, who's, you know, been there supporting Via Coast. Um, and then but we have a great team of two chefs. Hmm? If you think about it from your Mikado, which is a massive food hall mm -hmm. concept, it does kind of make sense. I mean, you're doing three concepts. They are each individual. But if you were to think about them, not that it's a food hall at all, because I know they're individual sit-down right. concepts. But if you were to think about it, in that capacity, it's a totally different business model, right? Than focusing on them individually. Right. I look at it more. I've opened a lot of restaurants and hotels, and I look at it also from that perspective. So, you know, your your hotel chef is, um, you know, has one walk-in, one menu, but they have a number of different outlets. So I just I took a lot of the things that I've seen over the years and trying mm -hmm. to kind of figure out a, a, a little bit of a different model. I love that. Now let's talk about the last play. So La Colina is going to be pasta. The babies are going to be there. Spaghetti on the floor, the whole thing. We're ready for it. Yeah, it'll be great. Mozzarella, we have an antipasta and mozzarella bar. Um, just so like when you come in, you see everything and love it. um, it'll be great. Yes. And then, um, and then we have a gin bar. Um, I love a good gin and tonic. Okay. So you do know that our first guest was Zach. What was Zach's last name, David? Patterson. He is the ambassador for Geneva. So we oh, just did a whole thing. Like I've got bottles of Geneva. I'll that send. Was so cool. <laughs> that was so fun. So fun. So fun. Yeah. So I um I wanted um a high end cocktail bar. Mm -hmm. I wanted a place where you could walk in and it was all seated, and you kind of feel like you stepped out of DC and into this different world. And um, we're gonna focus on gin and kind of look at it throughout the season. We'll have other spirits as well, but just want to kind of have one story to tell with a spirit. And then we'll have little bites also along with it. So I assume that's on hold for a little bit. Are you making cocktails that people can go? We are, well, right now with the duck and the peach, we have cocktails that we're doing to go. And we're working on, again, uh, kind of seeing how things roll out in these next couple of weeks. Uh -huh. We're working on some cocktails that we'll do out of the wells. Excellent. All right, um, Hollis, thank you so much for joining us. Hollis, well, wait, I want to ask Hollis one last question. Okay, ask her one last question. Who are the bigger drinkers, Republicans or Democrats? <laughs> I think everyone is. <laughs> At this time, oh, we've yes. got to jump in. We're all drinking. All right, well, Hollis, thank you so much for joining us. The Duck and the Peach, tell everybody where they can find you, please. Yes, the Duck and the Peach. Uh, we are at um, duckandpeachdc.com, um, and we're also on Instagram, Duck and Peach. Um, we're on Twitter, we're on Facebook, we're on all the things. So we just look forward to getting to know everyone in the neighborhood. And thank you so much. I really appreciate the time. Yes, it's good to see you. Okay, this is uh, David and Nikki Nellis, Booty and the Beast. When we come back, we're talking to Brittany Anderson. She is super hot in Richmond, and now she's got a place here in D.C. All right, we're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. At the top of the show, I told you we we're going to be joined by James Beard-nominated chef Brittany Anderson, who is the star of Richmond restauranting these days. Uh, but she's now working with um, Neighborhood Restaurant Group. Uh, they've opened The Roost on Capitol Hill, and she is uh, executive chef at the kitchen at Lenny in The Roost on Capitol Hill. And she's joined us to talk about it. Hi, Brittany. 
Hi, I'm so glad, glad to be here today. Well, you know, uh, you're famous around my house because Nikki and some of her foodie buddies went down to Richmond, I think in February before the lockdown, and they eat, ate at Brenner Pass, and that's all I've heard about. So um, you're an all-star, and now you're here in D.C., which is great. Yeah, it's uh, it's totally a different world, but it's been really uh, fun to learn it. And it was so great to have Nikki here in February. I actually had, I was here that night, and I got to serve them and hang out a little bit, have some wine, so it was a good time. I know it was you, so you home a doggy bag, though, for okay. me. Can we talk? Yeah. We have a radio show to do here. And not oh, I forgot. Time. Okay, so Brittany, let's for people who aren't aware of the very uh, rich uh, dining scene in Richmond, which you are a part of, um, it is amazing the food scene that's happening there right now. And can we talk a little bit about you being in Richmond and the kind of concepts you're doing there? Sure. So um, I have been in Richmond. I've had restaurants open here since 2014, which is when I opened my first place, which is Metro Bar Butchery. Um, and then we opened Brenner Pass in 2017. Um, and then we have a coffee shop as well uh, that we just opened, um, Black Lodge. We opened yesterday. So I know we we actually flipped in our previous coffee shop chair. But I was going to say, isn't there a coffee shop attached to Brenner Pass? Yeah. So we had to close it at the beginning of the pandemic. And then we have reopened under a new kind of concept, which is more like takeout friendly um, because of the pandemic. But Richmond is a really amazing dining city, and I think that it's kind of, it's very lucky because of where it's located. We kind of are close to lots of bigger cities, so we get a lot of influence from them, And um, but we also are really affordable to open places here, so it's a it's a great place to live and work, and um, it's a great place to run a restaurant. I We have great diners here and uh, great support. Well, so can we talk about your overall dining aesthetic because um i mean honestly there's i i've there's not a lot of people doing that here in dc so can we talk about what you're doing in richmond sure so um i do kind of like regional european but mostly um modern like german food and modern alpine style food so um at metzger we pretty much do it's like a modern american modern german hybrid like, so we're trying to keep up and use local and regional produce and things like that, but we're going to put them into the, the German aspect, German-Austrian. And then at Brenner Pass, we do French, Italian, and Swiss, hmm. kind of um, alpine-style food, but with a modern kind of plating style, and again, local ingredients, and um, we kind of just do our own thing. So if I, if I come in wearing lederhosen, do I get a free meal? No. You oh. know, a lot of people have tried, but no. Oh. <laughs> So, Brittany, you know, uh, the team from Neighborhood Restaurant Group were planning on opening up a food hall um, down in Richmond, but they were always planning on opening up the Roost here on Capitol Hill um, in D.C. How did you become a part of that? And what was like Michael Babin and uh, Greg um, Ankert's like big vision? And, and how did you say, no, this is what I want to do? Like, how did you come up with your concept for it? Well, um, I met Michael through um, just connections with The Veil and Reverie Distribution. He does a lot of beer distribution for um, in D.C. and at uh, Church Key and with Greg. So and we also are really beer focused. I mean, Richmond in general is a very beer focused town and my restaurants in particular do a lot of beer. So there was a natural connection with that. Um, and we just kind of hit it off and I was kind of 
um, you know, spend a lot of time with Michael talking about like what Richmond needs in a food hall, what we could do. And then that kind of just went over into, well, maybe we should just do something in DC. So um, the partnership has always been kind of natural from the get go. And we, um, I was just open to kind of what needed to fill the hole really at the roots and what they really needed was an all day cafe concept. And so I was super excited about that because I don't often get to do breakfast or things like that. So um, working on developing it, I was like, well, let's just focus on healthy stuff, daytime things. Um, let's look at our neighborhood and who our guest is and um, really try to imbue that all day cafe with my kind of, I don't know, weird Eastern European regional kind of specific ideas. And it was actually fun because I feel like we got to branch out a little bit with some of the stuff at Lenny. Um, but that's really where it came from. And I think it's still growing. I always feel like I'm never like a hundred percent set right at the beginning of any kind of concept, which is not really the best for <laughs> critics, but it's the best for me. And I think we continually grow and the restaurants change and move. And so it's been fun to see how Lenny does that. Well, I actually think that that makes the most sense when it comes to a concept that you have to evolve. Sometimes the neighborhood comes to you, especially with something that you're doing, like in that neighborhood in Capitol Hill. Um, so what can, right now, what are some of the things that we can find at Lenny? What are some of the dishes you put together? So we've got a lot of different breakfast sandwiches and we've got uh, roasties and toasties. So that's kind of like our main like base um, daytime food, which is potato cakes, like Swiss style potato roasties. And then we pop them with like different things. So we have all the so Just so you know, we call those lakas, but go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> Similar, but these are just potato, no onion, no nothing else in them. Um, and then we have uh, our toast, which are very similar, similar toppings. We've got speck and spicy mustard. We have a beet with um, a fun like pumpkin seed chili sauce. And we also have um, a lot of salads with um, lots of things like sauerkraut and um, sprouts and seeds. You know, I really think that um, it sounds like rabbit food, but we try to make it really delicious and big and bold flavors. And um, I, I, I'm super happy with it. Well, I think, you know, listen, you can use rabbit ingredients, you know, rabbit food ingredients, but really put together a composed dish that's very satisfying, right? Um, and what about since, um, you have access to um, Nate Anda's charcuterie. Are you using your charcuterie or are you using his? So we use um, kind of a mix, but mostly his. Um, it's been awesome to get to work with him. I think that he's like a fount of knowledge and he has like a different meat for everything I could need. Like some, especially going to DC, the thing for me that's been the most challenging is I'm not familiar with the sourcing. Or, you know, who do you get this from? Where are you ordering this? And Nate just is like, oh, you don't need to order that. I got it. So he's got my spec covered. He's got, you know, we're getting brine chickens from him. Or, but actually, we've, we've been brining in-house and really helping kind of develop that program in-house at the Roots, which has been super helpful. Um, our bratwurst are from there. We do a bratwurst sandwich, um, a bratwurst breakfast sandwich. It's really delicious with eggs. And... Um, so yeah, we get to kind of collaborate and work together. I love that about the Roost. I really love all the different concepts in the Roost that um, like their state fair, which is a uh, soft serve ice cream place. And I'm like, can we make a Lenny soft serve Sunday? Like I want to, I just love the idea of like getting to put our different things together. 
I'm so hungry. Right. Well, for people who haven't been to the Roost, it's in the Blackbird Apartments um, on Capitol Hill. It is a massive space. Um, it's super spacious. So, because I went there during the pandemic, and I was really impressed at how much room there was to move around and check out all the different uh, entities there. Um, so are you doing takeaway as a part of what you're doing right now? I know they can order up from the apartment building. What, what about us who can't live there? You can also walk in and order coffee. Um, I'm, I'm, Cameo. Yeah, so at Cameo, you can order Lenny. Um, so you can get coffee and any of the Lenny food. You can honestly, you can get order anything from any of the different spaces in one app online, or you can walk in and order the same things. It's actually really simple. And I think that's the best way to eat at the roost is to get like a whole bunch of different things um, because it all kind of goes together in a weird way. And it, I think everything feels a little whole. It's really cool. All right. I um, want to know who Lenny is named after. Is it like Lenny and Ziggy or Iggy or whatever his name was? No, it's not a particular person. It's just, I thought it sounded cool, had a diner vibe, but also it's one of the most popular names in, uh, in Germany. So we just kind of went with that. Brittany, we have to wrap up. Tell everybody where they can find you on Instagram and where they can find your new concept here in DC. Um, you can find me on Instagram at Brittany Anderson, Brittany underscore Anderson, and you can find Lenny dot all day long on Instagram as well. And Lenny's at the Roost in Capitol Hill on 14th and Pennsylvania Southeast. I think I got that right. Yeah. You can. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And I want to thank um, all of our listeners for joining us today. We do want to wish everybody the happiest of New Year's while the New Year did not kick off exactly as we wanted. We got a little leftover of 2020 hitting us in 2021. I do want to remind everybody, as I did at the beginning of the show, our restaurants are in dire need. Wednesday did not help, especially with that 6 p.m. curfew. Um, and there is no indoor dining at the moment. Hopefully it opens up on the 15th. Please order, do takeaway, buy gift cards. If you can, please do. It's so important. We want these local independent restaurants to be here when this is all over. Next week, a new Papatella has opened up in DuPont Circle, um, and we've got more deliciousness for you. So thank you for joining us. You still need to wear a mask, sanitize from head to toe, and have a delicious week.